Hi, this is Amber, and you're listening to Amber on Podcast. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to episode number 21 of Amber on Podcasts. Yay, we are legal. What I want to start with today is a bit of my own life philosophy. I have a belief that I believe sets me apart from most other people. I have a way of thinking about life that came only recently and completely upheaved my values, beliefs, and lifestyle. This philosophy was hard won. I experienced the change after my job loss. As many of you know, I was laid off in October of 2016 from a six-figure executive-level position. And after looking for a job for over a year, applying to literally hundreds of jobs and working with three recruiting agencies, I began to ask myself a different question. What was the commonality in all these jobs that I was applying to? 280 jobs, all with skills I could very well do, all with job descriptions that list literally verbatim my skills and expertise, I I determined that I was asking the wrong question. It wasn't waiting for an employer or a mid-level HR person to recognize my skills. I had to recognize them myself, identify them, present them, and sell them. And this is the point where when many people make a life-changing decision to work for themselves and never leave the responsibility to someone else, to own your work, own your destiny, your success, and be in control of it when you work, how you work, why you work. Now, I believe that we all need to strengthen our idea muscle, our creative muscle. We need to be actively thinking of ways to do this. Roberto Blake was recently on Pat Flynn's podcast, the Smart Passive Income Podcast. And he had some really great things to say that I wanted to share with you. So taking a thought and turning it into a thing is everyone's goal. The thing we all desire most of all in life and in career, take a thought, an idea, and turn it into a thing, a product, a service. We all know we need to do the work, but most of us don't do it until we are pushed, until we have to. Necessity is the mother of invention, and it is for this reason that many entrepreneurs get started post-job loss or layoff. I wondered this myself. Why is it that so many people that I study as a budding entrepreneur had the same post-layoff job loss revelation? The reason? Because they were forced to figure out how they could take responsibility and ownership over their lives and their careers. So the issue that most of us don't question the status quo, and even though we should. So also, you know, your parents, um, their career and their business advice is bullshit. Anyone who made their wealth pre-Facebook, pre-iPhone is not your life advisor in this realm, not in business, not in career. Why? Because... Never before, until Facebook and the iPhone, I'm talking around 2007, had disruption played such a major role in life. Disruption is taking place all over the place. And we, as loyal consumer Americans, are chomping at the bit for more, 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 more. So disruption today is the name of the game. Industries change overnight, all the time, and it affects everyone. Your parents decades, the way that they lived, they were not open to disruption. There was no real societal, cultural, or infrastructure change. They grew up 
in that world. And that is not our world. Ours is getting disrupted all the time. There's always change. We're open to it. We're used to it, hopefully, by this point. I, I've said for many years, actually, since since after 9-11, I, I had this feeling, I think it was almost the day of 9-11, if not immediately after, that there has been so much going on in the world. I questioned back then in 2001 why it seemed like so much was happening to us. Did every generation feel this way, like so much was going on? And the answer is no. Generations before didn't feel this constant shift because they weren't experiencing them. We live in a different world and the culture of work is shifting. And for all of our benefits of technology, the job market is not what it was. And I think it's incredibly important that everyone understand this now. There is no such thing as job security. The only way that you can make yourself truly future-proof and guarantee yourself the ability to produce income and provide for yourself and for your family is to take ownership and control over your ability to work, your ability to produce a result, take control of your reputation and your standing, and take control of your body of work. You could be let go and all the credentials and accolades and things you worked for, your employer could tell you that you don't have the freedom to use that to pursue other employment for your future. That happens to people on a regular basis, and they're unprepared for it. I was unprepared for it. What happens if you are let go today? At no fault of your own, what if the company goes under and you're looking for a job now? Resume in hand, maybe a few LinkedIn connections, hoping for the best. You'll be in for a rude awakening. Unless you're rich in nepotism, this message is for you. I don't want anyone to be caught off guard the way that I was. I was delusional. I got laid off, sure, but I wasn't worried. Why would I be? I have a ton of skills. I worked for major companies, managed millions of dollars, went to private college, complete with plenty of nepotism and elitism. I'm personable, charming, astute, and a hard worker, and a go-getter. There wasn't a question in my mind that I wouldn't be hired. Until 280 applications later left me dumbfounded. I was left standing there, resume in hand, wondering why no one was calling my name. And no one was calling my name because resumes don't matter and real work does matter. What do I mean by that? Business owners absolutely value clear demonstrations of skill and value. Roberto Blake goes on to say that you need to own a solid 30 to 50 pieces of work that represent you, that demonstrate your knowledge and your skills, and that's not beholden to anyone else. In addition to that, you need documentation of your expertise in the form of some type of public commentary on the nature of your craft and your industry, like a blog post or Medium or LinkedIn article. Um, Now, a blog, you need hosting, et cetera, but for Medium and LinkedIn are free, so there's no reason not to show up. Then you have proof. You have a body of work that shows your skills and capabilities, and you need to build a body of work that you have ownership of. I'm not saying build a personal brand doesn't have to be that complex and trendy. You need to be positioning yourself in a position of power and credibility. And your degree and your previous employment may not cut it if something happens, if there's a cultural shift in the market that undermines those things. A resume doesn't matter. Execution does. That's what I think. That's what I truly believe. A resume doesn't matter. Execution does. All employers are looking for is proof of execution so that they know you are indeed capable of producing the work you have claimed to have done on your resume. To be honest, I think resumes are stupid and archaic. I have seen more resumes in my life than I would care to admit. And if there's one thing in common with all of them is that they are all useless and boring as fuck. All a resume does is give the HR person a keyword checklist to make sure that things like journal entry or CRM are included 
therein. I would argue that the only helpful tool resumes offer is a metric to determine where the applicant's comprehension and writing skills lie. Misspell a word on your own resume, idiot. Change the font size or indentations throughout, and you're careless. Resumes are antiquated as fuck. So if you want to show the world what you can do, a resume is not it. No one posts their resume on Instagram for a reason. No one cares. But then that's how most people are getting their jobs, by submitting a resume. When I can tell you firsthand that one of the first things I do as a hiring manager is research the applicant's social media accounts every time. Know this. Embrace it. Represent yourself accordingly. I'm not saying that everybody has to run out and become an entrepreneur. Fuck no, it's hard. It's not the life for everybody. But what you do need to do is run out and make sure that you own a body of work that displays your talent and expertise. A body of work is not a resume. It's actual work, actual proof of who you are and what you're about. No matter what the opportunity is, if you have an actual body of work versus the person who shows up with just a resume, you will win for sure. And we're here to win, people. Winning is the game and Amber is my name. Now, to shed a bit of light on this, I want to share with you a new podcast from the people at Virgin Atlantic. Virgin, as you very well probably know, is owned by Sir Richard Branson, entrepreneur extraordinaire. Mr. Branson is truly spectacular in all of the fabulous ways. And his mission statement, his values, are disruptive indeed. Branson and Virgin Mobile, Virgin Records, Virgin Airlines all set the stage for major innovation and change in their respective industries. Now, this style of living, of mission, and of presenting your values on a world stage is precisely the kind of thing I love to cover on this show. Sharing the stories and values of others has helped me lead a better life, and it is my personal goal to help you lead a better life as well. So, let's start the show. Kaiseki, Kaiseki, Kaiseki. You're going to like saying that word, so give yourself a little treat and put it in your mouth right now and say it with me. Kaiseki, Kaiseki, Kaiseki is special to our main character today. Her name is Nikki Nakayama, and she's the owner and head chef at N Naka Restaurant in Culver City, California, right outside of LA. The way you show up matters in business and in person. And when you care about what you're doing, it shows. When you don't care, it also shows. So, How many businesses are showing you that they care about what they are doing, showing you their values? Nikki is a chef that innovated an industry that has been in business for centuries by showing up and showing her care and detail. This is why it matters. Sometimes we just need a real-life example to know what is possible and what is the new status quo. You decide. We decide every single day. Now, this story is one example of what showing up and setting the status quo looks like. Doing work that matters to you is important. Do you do the work that matters to you? Do you make it a priority to show up and do what you love every day? Some of us do. And one person, Nikki Nakayama, does this with Kaiseki her way. Now, Nikki is one of the only female kaiseki chefs in the world. Now, what is kaiseki? It's a Japanese style of cooking that dates back to the medieval times. Medieval, yo. Origins of kaiseki. They stem from the formal Japanese tea ceremony that was enjoyed by elite samurais and nobility. Always made by men for men. So kaiseki follows strict rules governing textures and flavors of each dish with emphasis on variety, seasonality, visual appeal, attractive plating, and tiny serving sizes. The dishes are like miniature works of modern art presented in a gallery. 
And at Ennaka, it is always soup before sashimi, a grilled dish before a steamed dish, soft, melt-in-your-mouth texture, followed by crunchy and crisp, sweet and bright, balanced with savory and subtle. It's an, it's an event, and it's an art. The whole tradition of kaiseki is based around telling a story with food, and like any art form, it requires practice and refinement, which is what Nikki has in spades. True to Kaiseki rules, Nikki creates a new menu every day based on the season and what is available that morning. What's far more impressive is her promise to never serve the same thing twice to one customer. That means that each and every time you come to Ennaka, Nikki and her team take copious notes on what you ate and what you drank so that you never are served the same thing twice. What's more... When you make your reservation, they also ask you if you're right-handed or left-handed, and then they set the table accordingly. Speaking of reservations, it can take months to get one at Ennaka, and the meals are not cheap. With wine and sake pairings, a table for two can be well over $600. Now, why are people paying hundreds of dollars for a strange food experience? Because they're all in love with the love and the care and dedication that Nikki serves in her kitchen. Nikki cares so much about each plate that it shows, and people are eager to see the work that she has so diligently put in. This is 100% her vision, and she's done it exactly how she wants to do it. And this is what is so rare. This is what I want to focus on in this story is Nikki and her unwavering vision to make something of value and present it in a way that is first meant to serve her so that she can serve others. The fine dining industry chefs are mostly male, and and to boot, selling a foreign cuisine to Americans for hundreds of dollars is no easy task. This is how she built it. Nikki started out like a lot of us, clueless. It was only by chance that she found cooking and decided to go to culinary school. Now, Nikki is Japanese-American, has family in Japan who own an inn in the countryside. So after culinary school, Nikki went to train in Japan. But the Japanese cuisine is not very welcoming of women. It's all men. Women are not celebrated or recognized for being chefs. Not today. Not ever. What's more is, in Kaiseki, the cooking techniques and recipes are traditionally handed down informally from mentors to trainees or from fathers to sons. So many of the skills are not directly accessible to women. And in Japan, women are viewed as assistants, if anything, in the kitchen, never the main character. So Nikki knew that by going to Japan to study, she would have to deal with this head-on. She she knew that her three years spent training in Japan would likely mean some assistant prep work and maybe some assistant plating, but mostly washing dishes. Can you imagine getting your degree and then going to wash dishes, dishes for three years? This is where I was really taken back by Nikki's resolve. I don't know anyone who could take that ego hit and prosper. I mean, present company included. I would feel like I was being punished. I think you have to have a real top-level look at your future and what you're working toward long-term in order to flourish in a setting like this, where you're washing dishes for three years. And Nikki said that she learned by taste mostly. And when the interviewer asks her if she was, like, asking a bunch of questions, she said no, that she she didn't ask any questions. She went to the library when she wasn't working, and if she really needed something, then she would ask her aunt, who owned the inn. Now, this is an important moment here because she did not ask questions. She didn't Google it. She didn't email her friend. She didn't DM the industry expert. She fucking found out on her own. She did the work. And today, so many people are asking the wrong questions. They believe if only I had the right software, if I had the right equipment, or if I lived in the right part of the country or the world, the answer is and always will be is there no there is no answer. There's no shortcut. The best you can do is 
to set yourself up for success is to do the fucking work yourself. Show up and do it. One of my favorite quotes from Nikki, she says, I don't rock the boat, but my will is strong. And I won't argue with you about your ideas, but I know I'm going to do it my way eventually. I just feel like that is the mantra, the mantra, the mantra mantra for women everywhere. Women who are on the fringes, sitting and watching and waiting for their moment. The quote, again, is, I don't rock the boat, but my will is strong. I won't argue with you about your ideas, but I know I'm going to do it my way eventually. So I really believe that eventually women will do it their way, probably not in my lifetime, but eventually we will indeed run the world the way we ought to. But until then, let's get back to Nikki. Nikki fell in love with kitchen work. So she loved the meticulousness of it, of making everything look the same, the meditative aspect, and she got to make really, really yummy food. And never mind that she was washing dishes, she was also a spy. She was meticulously observing everything on going on around her, and, and she learned learned by watching and by tasting on her own. Then when Nikki returned to California, she decided to open a sushi restaurant with her cousin. And the sushi restaurant was a success. Plenty of repeat customers and great reviews from the critics, but Nikki was bored making the same things over and over again with no demand for creativity or new challenge. Sound familiar? She longed for the kaiseki dishes that she saw being made in Japan and decided to offer a few kaiseki items hidden on the sushi menu for the adventurous diner. Three, five, and seven course menus were offered and to her surprise, ordered by many guests at her sushi restaurant. Eventually, Nikki grew tired of waiting around for the next one-off kaiseki guests and decided to close the sushi restaurant so she could focus on kaiseki full-time. Now, people told her she was crazy. Who in their right mind shuts down a perfectly successful restaurant to open a super expensive three-hour dining experience based on a culture that no one understands? Nikki, that's who. When asked about the time in her life and why she felt so brave and compelled to take the plunge, Nikki says that it felt like I just had this weird leap of faith. I didn't know what would happen, but I knew I would be okay. I call it blind faith. Well, I call it intuition. You know what? You probably recognize it as the flame burning inside of you that yells at you each day, screaming to be let out. That flame is your dream, your passion, the thing you would love to do but you haven't done yet. The thing keeping us from letting our flame out for all the world to see is fear. Fear of being rejected, fear of being misunderstood, fear of being ignored. What's interesting to me about this story is that Nikki left something that wasn't broke. She had a perfectly good restaurant, but her heart wasn't in it. She wanted more, and she believed in herself and her ability to get more. She was brave. She was resilient. She was resolute in her mission and in her execution. And two and a half years later, Nikki had a complete and custom Kaiseki restaurant and was booking 10 to 12 reservations a night. Now, that might not seem like much, but Nikki was not discouraged, not at all. She was energized. She says that if we aren't busy, then it's because the menu isn't good enough. It's a sign we need to be more creative. Eventually, her Kaiseki dream and Naka began getting regulars, steady reservations, and good reviews. Then, when Nikki's sous chef dipped out unexpectedly, Nikki's girlfriend, Carol, stepped in to help her in the kitchen at the restaurant. And the two had only been dating for a few months, and they were nervous about blending work and relationship, especially with knives involved. But the partnership was a dream. And the two have been working together ever since. Nikki is head chef. Carol is sous chef. 
And the two are married in 2011. Now, if that isn't a lovely fucking story, I don't know what is. So let me shed a bit of light on something else. I used to be of a certain school of thought that made very clear how one was to behave in the workplace. I maintain the philosophy that if you, if you are at work, you are to leave your personal life at home. And I mean any and all traces of personal life. What I failed to understand back then and what I do understand now, fortunately, is that your personal life makes your work life and vice versa. Having, having the freedom to be connected to your loved ones throughout the day, free for a call, free for an hour-long car ride, free for an errand, quick bite, quick chore, access. I'm talking access to your loved ones and their access to you. And I believe that way too often family relationships are neglected and overlooked in businesses when they are of such great importance to the well-being of employees. And I, I shudder at the fact that I, I don't even know the name names of any of my former bosses' wives because I was too busy keeping it professional. I'm not saying that we all need to work with our wives. I'm just saying that we need more conversations about our personal lives and more access to our loved ones inside the workplace and not just outside. And Nikki and Carol are great example of that. Seriously, you guys have to listen to the episode if you really want to want to hear a stellar example of true love. The way the the way the two of them speak about each other is so sweet. It'll give you a toothache. Nikki does what she wants to do without compromise. It was a gamble that this restaurant could work, the Kaiseki restaurant, but it has. And that's what makes Nikki a pioneer in her field. She is incredibly humble and says that by opening Ennaka, she's altered the rules in the game. She said, I don't have to make a big statement like, oh, I'm a woman doing this man's cuisine. I'm just doing it. You make the opportunities for yourself or you make a roundabout. Sometimes the roundabout way is more interesting than the traditional way. An L.A. food critic described the dining experience at Ennaka as very quiet, careful, and lovely. And that, my friends, is how you do more good for more people most of the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me here. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to spend with me, and I do hope that I've made your world just a tiny bit brighter. You know, I aim to please, and I aim to grow. I want to grow this podcast. I want to get more listeners so I can light up the worlds of your friends and your relatives. So if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend, with a relative, a coworker, an Instagram feed, a DM, whatever. However you want to get the word out about Amber Own Podcasts, I would really appreciate it. More subscribers means more people can find me. So help them find me, share, rate, and subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, thank you. Love you. Bye. This week's podcast recommendation is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn. You heard me talk about this at the top of this episode. And if you liked what you heard, you will love the Smart Passive Income Podcast, SPI for short. It's super insightful, practical, and in real time, meaning that the information shared is actually relevant and not too dated. So check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. Thanks. Bye.